0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I am your host, Ian Boswell, staying in line with the French-themed breakfast this morning. This morning is pain perdu, which of course is French toast. There was some stale bread lying around, so I decided to whisk up some eggs, put in a splash of milk, a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of cinnamon, and a pinch of salt, cut up the bread, and gave it a good long soak in the egg mixture. My secret to French toast is actually using the bread as a little bit of a sponge. So get your hands in there, give it a good squeeze, throw it in a pan, make sure it's cooked all the way through, topped with some butter and maple syrup, delicious. Because we had a French-themed breakfast this morning, we are once again talking about the country of France. Virtually this time, over the last three weeks, The first ever virtual Tour de France has taken place. Six races over three weekends, both male and female races, an awesome thing to see. So this week, we are digesting those races and we're hearing from the athletes who have taken part. First, I will be joined by Chris Pritchard. Chris runs a Cycling News YouTube channel. You can check that out, Chris Pritchard, Cycling News, if you put that into the search bar of YouTube This will give us a little bit of context to the world of virtual racing. And following Chris, we'll be speaking with four riders from Rally Cycling Team. First, Stage 3 winner of the men's race, Matteo Dalcin. Following Matteo, we'll be hearing from Sarah Bergen, Lily Williams, and Emma White. So I hope you all have a cup of coffee ready, some French toast on the griddle. Sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Breakfast with Boz. All righty. I am joined by Chris Pritchard
1: of Chris Pritchard Cycling News. Chris, thanks for taking the time. I was I was wondering how you're going to introduce me then, because normally when I introduce people, I've got something to say. Oh, he's done this, he's done that. They're, they're current world champions, but you're like, oh, it's uh, Chris Pritchard. Oh, just, just Chris Pritchard, he does the Cycling News show on YouTube. <laughs> YouTube host. <laughs> YouTube host. Yeah, I'll say that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that works. I um, Thanks, man. Yeah, I've recently dived into some of your videos, and there's some, yeah, you have some really fascinating stuff. And you've been doing an extensive show covering the virtual tour, which has been awesome. Because, you know, it is in very, in a lot of ways, it's a very new platform and something that, you know, both writers and fans are trying to.
1: To understand me as it you know kind of is a growing a growing part of our world. Absolutely, yeah. Where it is right now is still so early in its infancy. I don't think we've even started to scratch the surface of what's capable of of not only Zwift as a platform, but the whole indoor cycling thing. I, th- I think that's why potentially a lot of people kind of turn the nose up at it or refuse to accept it as a as a, as a part of our sport now. Yeah, but well,
0: we just got off the phone with with Neil Henderson and Rohan Dennis, and you know having people like that on your show talking about you know the virtual Tour de France is in a way a sign that this is this is what's happening you know we have the biggest riders in the world participating on this platform and as Rowan said while he may not always be sharing that he's taking it seriously he is definitely you know putting out some power that he would be doing in a world championships time trial do you see this platform continuing to grow on you know both a professional stage but you know as far as just the general public as well
1: yeah definitely i think it's needed people like Rowan to take it seriously. That's what it's needed because if you think back to when Zwift first came along, back in 2015, I was entering races that the community were entering, uh, setting up. And essentially you had to roll to the start line. You had to all be on, a, on the same time frame, So you had to sync your clocks up so you knew when you were setting off. And it was just an absolute shower of, I was just a shambles to actually get a race going and to see that Zwift weren't really interested in making races a thing on it but the the community was so loud about them wanting um features within Zwift that allows them to race then we eventually got that and now we're moving to the point where you kind of saw one or two professionals just dipping their toe in and then using it as a like a training platform but now the professionals have kind of been forced into it, into a full-on race series by the ASO and Zwift with this virtual Tour de France. That I think this is the the stepping stone that it's needed to legitimise the racing and to actually show the general public that it is a thing and it's here to stay, and it's not it's not taken away from the sport that we all love that happens outside every year in Belgium and Holland and France and Italy and Spain and obviously America as well it's it's an addition to it and it's a completely different beast you need completely different physiological aspects to yourself to 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 perform well indoors but it's it's yeah like I said before it's it's in its infancy and we're just scratching the surface with it and I'm really excited to see where it's going to progress yeah well do you feel
0: like you know, fans of yours and fans of your show and because of, you know, shows like yours, but also because of this virtual tour, do you feel like there is a gaining interest for people to come in and, you know, view this, view these races as spectators, but then, you know, kind of transfer that over to participation and, you know, doing something, some races themselves or even participating in, in the atop tours that are happening alongside the virtual tour?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I know all five of my viewers that I have on my show <laughs> will, be t- will be taking part in the tab. Yeah, but that's the that's the wonderful thing with Zwift, that they've they've not only given the the professionals the opportunity to race, but they've also given the general public that opportunity to to be part of a mass start event uh, without the risk of of actually physically injuring yourself by doing the virtual uh, the tabs. Uh, And it's been great for for that. I've seen like you know they do them it's every couple of hours, and there's you know, four or 5,000 people. So you can see what what the interest is for the general public just to jump on Zwift, whether it is a race or whether it is a training uh, session or whatever it might be, that there's you know we're in the middle of summer here in the uk and all right it's been a bit crap recently in the last couple of days but even on the those warm sunny days when the majority of people are outside you've still got those people who who are wanting to be part of those events like the uh, the virtual tour de france events where they'll sit down and watch the professionals then they'll jump on their turbo and they'll actually go and ride the event as well well how well do you know
0: virtual racing i mean obviously you know it probably more in depth than i do but you know, you talk about on your show. You said there's a, a continual controversy over you know trainer resistance, and there's all sorts of little you know you can skew your weight and this and that. And there's little, I don't want to say hacks because essentially they're kind of cheats um, to to advance your <laughs> yeah. you know kind of your your showing in a race. But how do you you know how do you see that evolving over time? Whether it's you know a universal trainer system, like let's say at, you know at the national championships everyone's on a kicker, it's set to the same same mode. Do you see maybe from the top Zwift kind of implementing? a system where riders have to be on compatible, you know, hardware or how do you see that going?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, if anybody, if anybody, it, you know, is listening to this, who knows uh, my channel, they'll know that I do like to have a good debate about trainer difficulty and the the difference it produces in how hard it is to ride, but we're not going to get into that. But yes, um, I understand why they've put trainer difficulty into it. I know they've taken it out of, of races now, but essentially, you know, like you say, you've got you could have a hundred people on a hundred different types of either a smart trainer or a dumb trainer. Or just using their power meter as a power source, so you're going to get a discrepancy in in what a 10% gradient feels across those various different trainers. It's not going to necessarily feel the same on a kicker as it might do on a an elite Drivo, for instance. So they set that up so um, they can try to create an equal platform. But what you end up ha- what end, ends up happening is everybody sets it to zero, so you never feel those gradients increase so when it gets to 10% gradient the 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 um, the resistance doesn't change so you can just maintain that same cadence same rhythm and essentially time trial your way to, to victory. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different areas that I don't know if it's down to Zwift to sort it out or if it's down to a, a governing body to create itself or for the UCI to be part of that to actually say that there is a certified trainer or there is a group of certified trainers that you must use in certain events. Like when it comes to community races, I don't care if someone enters the wrong way and I don't care if someone's not calibrated their machinery. I'm just going there to have fun to absolutely batter myself for 45 minutes to an hour. And if I, if I end up finishing somewhere near the top, then that's great. And if I don't, then it's just fun. But obviously, you know, you see the British nationals that we saw last year, Um, that Cameron Jeffers won, and you had all 10 riders in a studio, all riding the same equipment, all the equipment had been calibrated the same. So you knew it was a fair and open and level playing field. Uh, The rider's weights were were measured, the rider's heights were measured. So it was 100% legitimate, but you can never never make sure that it's 100% legitimate when people are riding remotely. And then, you know, we spoke to Rowan earlier, he potentially could be riding at an altitude, which is you know, a huge disadvantage to somebody who's, who's riding at sea level. So in terms of actually creating a level playing field, remotely, they'll never achieve that. But I think as the uh, the concept of indoor cycling grows and events are put on similar to like you see in esports when they're selling out arenas to go and watch 15 and 16-year-old kids tap away on the keyboard for an hour, killing stuff. Once it gets to that point, I think you you are going to have You'll see series sponsored by Wahoo, where everybody's on a kicker and they're all using Wahoo equipment or even a kicker bike. But until you until you get people in the same room on the same equipment, there's always going to be that question of doubt as to whether people have entered the right weight and people are calibrated. And I think that's just something that everyone's come to to understand is part of the game at the minute. Do you know for the virtual tour because every
0: team is on their own bike? Has Zwift just gone through and made everyone's bike? Having the same aerodynamic drag and the wheels and the weight, have they kind of neutralized at least that element of it from
1: the racing aspect? I think so. Yeah, I noticed that the um, in terms of the in terms of the bike frames themselves, there's not a massive difference. I've done various different tests on frames to check the the speed of a, a specific frame. So I use the I use the same wheels and I'll set the avatar to a certain wattage and I'll just let him go on his way and and then we'll measure the times afterwards. The timing frames. For the ones that the professionals are using, there's there's hardly anything in it. Where you'll find the biggest um advantages in wheels, like uh, the, the best set of wheels, which is a, a Zip 858 with the disc on the back, is way more advantageous of putting them on your bike compared to someone with just a pair of, of Zwift wheels, but obviously... Not all wheel companies are on Zwift, so they've kind of just scrapped that and given everybody the same wheel. So I dare say there or thereabouts, the bikes are very similar. Um, and obviously, the riders aren't allowed to use the Tron bike for various reasons. But and and the major, I think all of them, all their team sponsored bikes are in the game, so they're they're all selecting them um, now. I've tested a few of them, like the Ridley Noah and the Factor bike, and there was potentially like a second between them over the um, the Watopia course but that's without a draft and once you put the the draft effect in and they're sat in that blob uh, it's much of a muchness, I think when it comes to those frames
0: yeah well and so i mean as you, you know there are little nuances that need to be addressed over time as this racing becomes you know maybe more mainstream but where do you see virtual racing kind of fitting into the landscape of professional cycling do you see more teams you know either being required to take part or choosing to take part in in more virtual in virtual
1: racing as as it grows. I mean, what I'd like to see and how it might go are probably two different things. But I think you know we've seen it in the past when the, the Zwift community races against the professionals. Like there was a, a Mathieu Vanderpol race. Now he got dropped within 20, 30 minutes of that ri- ride, and these guys are are just your average cyclists who go out and do a bit of training and they've just spent a lot of time on Zwift and understand the nuances of it and can ride it. And I think if it picks up the way I'd like it to, because I definitely think there's a market for it. There's, there's a niche for it. People enjoy watching it when people are streaming and people enjoy being part of it. And these races don't take up six, seven hours of the day. Like if you want to be a professional cyclist and go and ride the world tour, you need to put in hours and hours and hours. Like you'll know, Boz, how many hours you know, have you trained in your life? But when you come to Zwift races, the race normally lasts for an hour. Most people can train for an hour, you know, five or six days a week. So they can really focus on being a really good Zwifter. So I think hopefully what we might see is either uh, an offshoot of professional teams having a specific eSports side to it where they have maybe four or five riders who just concentrate on the eSports side, or you're going to see like you're seeing eSports as in the gaming side of it, where you're going to get specific teams set up solely to go and race these events. And obviously, you see more and more platforms come in, and there's a bit more competition for Zwift. And I think you're going to see various different platforms having their own events. And if we can get money behind it, if we can get excitement behind it, if we can get the younger generation to invest in watching it, then it could be... It could be huge. Maybe that's my future.
0: I, uh, you know, there's, it's all about the power. There's no crashing. There's no, you know, dangerous descents, all the things that I didn't like about pro road road racing. Yeah. Maybe I have a future
1: as a, uh, make a return to the world tour as an e-racer. Well, that's it. I think, you know, someone like yourself who's already got that engine, you might not be training at the, the intensity you used to, but give yourself, I don't know, like three or four months and hone what you have within you physiologically. And you could be, you know, you'd learn the, the game craft of Zwift or whatever platform you're using, and you could yeah. There's obviously not that much money in it, so it's not that appealing to see it as a career, but again, the races last an hour. You can jump into a race pretty much any day of the week, then it's the it's the best way to go.
0: Yeah, well so if I if I were to jump in and become a an e professional esports racer, what sort of just quick like hacks or tips that are legal, you know, I'm not going to change my weight or you know, I said play with the trainer resistance. Um, but what are some like key hacks that you have that you would suggest to people getting into e-racing?
1: Oh man, I don't think it's really hacks. I think it's, it's learning the courses and understanding how, especially when it comes to Zwift, how big an effect that uh, draft has on the speed of the blob in terms of If you want to try and if you're a rider who likes to get in a breakaway and stay away, it's never going to happen on on an hour's race, similar to like a crit or a a cross race. So you really need to know the platform. And there's there's a million different places that you don't think you're going to get dropped. I mean, if if anybody's ever watched some of my streams, you know, you shouldn't be able to get dropped on a on a descent, but you take your foot off the gas for a second, you stop pedaling and that descent all of a sudden becomes a bit of a flat road, literally just a couple of meters of a flat road. And before you know it, everyone who's still pedaling, they've just dropped you. And because there's a group of them, they're so much faster than one rider on their own that you really need to know what courses you're racing and obviously play to your advantages. Like if you're a climber, don't be expecting to, you know, get a decent result at Crit City, for instance, and you know, someone like me, if I go and do a climbing event on Zwift, I'm doing it for the fun of it. I'm not doing it to to win.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a very brave new world out there racing virtually, and even on the race um, this last last weekend when uh, Matteo Delchin won the race, I noticed that on your on your recap that. The video actually doesn't show him crossing the line first, but he actually did. <laughs> yeah. Because the algorithm, he was going faster when he crossed the line, but just the lag in video time had him finishing second, which is like something that I'm sure in time will will be better. And you know that's where I'm at a big disadvantage where I live, just because the Wi-Fi speed Wi-Fi speed is too slow to um you know yeah. to make my avatar keep up with with my actual power. Is that something that you think will change just as the platform you know develops?
1: Yeah, I think I think again it has to if they if they want to legitimize racing. Um, as in remote racing, people being able to race from their their homes than they have to. But I think more of it is down to the distance between you you and the actual server. If you race against someone who's closer to the server, their information gets there a bit faster, so they get a more accurate reading of where they are on that course, whereas your information might take a little bit longer. So, yeah, I think, again, just getting that, you need to get that legitimacy sorted and you need to kind of, get rid of any excuse that somebody might use. Somebody else has changed their weight. Somebody else is saying that they're only five foot when really they're six foot. Someone slightly close to the server that, that gives them you know, a slight advantage. But then you see that in gaming as well. And the only way that they can get rid of that is having people in the same room. But it's, it's just whether people are going to want to travel to a, a place to, to then sit on a bike rather than travel to a place and then go and race Paris-Roubaix, for instance. But there's definitely a place for it in the sport. Yeah.
0: And if the the money's there in the future, then, you know, I spoke with Larry Warbass and he said that if there's an incentive, then teams are going to go, you know, whether that's exposure or whether that's a financial component. You know, I think that would be kind of the, the tipping point when all of a sudden teams and riders say, hey, listen, this is, I can make a career out of this or, you know, our team is pushing this because we, you know, we can win, win these races that are, you know, being seen by
1: thousands of hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it could potentially be more accessible for the fans to go and see their favourite riders. And there'd be nothing better than seeing Peter Sagan, Machi van der Poel, uh, you know, Egan Manel, Geraint Thomas all sat or all sat on their bikes in, in a studio. And then the audience is literally just a couple of metres away and they can see their faces instead of seeing them for 10 seconds past them on a hill. They can see them for the full hour of the race, and they can see what kind of effort that they put in. I think it's much more, it could potentially be much more accessible, which which in turn will bring a bigger audience. And as soon as you put eyes on it, that's when people come in with, with money and that's what we need. Exactly. Well, so where can people find your video recaps of, of the virtual tour? Um, over on YouTube, um, I'm sure if you just type Chris Pritchard cycling news in, it'll come up or, you know, you could type in Zwift and hope for the best. <laughs> cool, Chris. <laughs> Thanks so much for the time. Okay, cheers, Boz. Now
0: that we've heard from Chris and gained a little bit of context about the world of virtual racing, let's hear from the quartet of riders from Rally Cycling, leading off with stage three winner, Matteo Delchin. I am now joined by the Virtual Tour Stage 3 winner, Team Rally Cycling, Matteo Delcine. Matteo, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, And Well, how does it feel to be a stage winner at the Tour de France?
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, given the circumstances, I'm pretty stoked to uh, have won a bike race, even during uh, you know the shutdown with COVID. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty pleased.
0: Yeah, is virtual racing something, something new to you, or is this something that you've been at for a while? Uh, I've
2: dabbled in it a bit over the winter. And then when coronavirus kind of shut down our racing at the start there in March, I, uh, I hopped on Zwift and was doing some of the community racing. So I wouldn't say that I'm well versed in it, but uh, it definitely wasn't my first one
0: yeah well it's it definitely there's a steep learning curve and i've spoken to some of your female teammates and they just mentioned how much how much of a game it really is you know obviously there's a physical aspect to it but really knowing the courses and knowing kind of the tactics of it and how how the races work you know it's it takes some time to get in used to yeah
2: yeah i mean ultimately i think like you know zwift has built it to be a video game probably like as much as a uh, a training tool um which I think is what draws a lot of people to it. Like the graphics and the gameplay are quite good. Whereas some of the other ones, it's like might be more about the stats and stuff, but less welcoming to somebody who's kind of just getting into riding and wanting to, uh, you know, explore the indoor training slash VR side of things. So yeah, I don't know. For me, I enjoy that side of the platform because yeah, it's kind of makes it a fun way to get your workout in.
0: Yeah, well, and how... How much kind of focus did you and your team put on this because i'm I'm gonna assume that you knew yet you a bit of forewarning from the a s o and from from Swift that this event was gonna happen. How much kind of preparation did you do to actually get ready both you know physically and and gaming wise
2: uh yeah, so I mean we did a couple of events earlier in the year. I mean, not a ton of emphasis was put on them. It was kind of like the guys who had like home trainer setups that were pretty dialed were the ones who were doing the races, but uh, there wasn't like as much focus. But then when the team found out that they were gonna partake in this, uh, there was a bit of secrecy around it, but we were uh, we were sent like the super like top-notch setup uh, from Wahoo.
0: Not very many catastrophic events can happen virtually. There's not gonna be a big crash in the, you know, 5K to go and you lose 10 minutes or something. It's, you know, <laughs> you're pretty safe on your kicker there of, you know, avoiding crashes. But is that, yeah. how much of the the virtual racing do you think will translate over to to your you know road career once once racing resumes again?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the worst thing that can happen to you on the trainer is maybe your internet conks out or something like that. Would be uh, about the worst you're going to see. But uh, I think the fitness will carry over well. Like you know, obviously. Uh, a real road race is significantly longer and uh, requires more endurance. But I think it was like a nice way to stay competitive and uh, and get like a good hard workout in uh, given the circumstances. But yeah, I think we might be a little bit rusty on the bike handling skills when we uh, get back to racing for the first few anyway. But uh, yeah, I think the form should be super good uh, coming off the trainer. And, you know, I think we're sitting on like five months now of just like, structured training back home so hopefully uh we can make use of that when we get back
0: yeah i mean in the middle of the season when you're you know racing a heavy schedule that's every rider's dream isn't it to have like a long block at home training but now that that's the situation it's all you want to do is get back to get back to racing
2: yeah yeah i mean uh some years you're like you know bouncing from race to race and it's like super busy calendar and you're just like trying to recover in between and you're just like jonesing to have one of these big breaks where you can like rest up and then do your like super dialed training and like come back peak form. But uh, then when that was a reality now, and it's like kind of a question mark as to even like which races are going to be able to run and when it's going to start back up. It's like, yeah, you're like, oh man, like <laughs> all I want to do is race my bike with, uh, with all my friends.
0: Yeah. Well, is there any sort of tactical know-how that you've actually learned through virtual racing that could potentially transfer over to the road, you know, especially, you know, kind of having an inside view of how, how the virtual tour has worked and just the tactics of it. Do you feel like there's anything you've learned as far as, you know, conservation of energy or strategy that you'll take with you when you go back to racing on the road? Uh, Yeah. I mean, like
2: you can see on the trainer, it's like insane in terms of like, if you're burning matches up at the front it's like you have no chance like you have to be really uh conservative and it like super pays off to like sit in the group and just like do the bare minimum whereas on the road it's like because it's drawn out over a longer period of time it's like sometimes you don't uh (laughs) you don't realize it until it's a bit late that you've burnt a few extra matches but then yeah i mean we'll see because uh there is a lot of stuff that's that's different and it took a bit of adjusting to uh to get used to the indoor racing and then i would imagine it'll be you know that same adjustment back to uh to racing on the real roads
0: yeah well you said a, a road race in general is very it's very drawn out and you know virtual racing it's so specific you know one slip up you know you can you're dropped essentially you know there's not much time to to make up make up for anything how much kind of emphasis do you put on your preparation beforehand you know making sure that you know your trainer set up, making sure your internet's good. You know, making sure you have a bottle that's you know within reach. You know, a gel or whatever you may be using nutritionally. How important is that? Like how much time actually do you use preparing ahead of the race to make sure that you're ready to go once once the race starts? Because, like I said, it's not like a, a road race where you can you know stop and change a wheel or you know take a nature yeah. break and catch back up. That doesn't happen <laughs> on the virtual scene.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I set it all up the night before if I can, just like get all my stuff dialed bottles there and uh yeah gel in case you need it but they're pretty short so usually i'm going too hard to be be trying to eat but uh yeah i would say it's like you want to make sure all that stuff is uh squared away and as perfect as you can get it prior to the to the ride and that's like you know almost the most important thing about it more so than a road race where yeah it's like If you start and you don't have enough food, you can just drop back to the car and like grab some extra nutrition or bottles or whatever you need. It's like if you're on the trainer, it's like stop for a second and it's game over. So, uh, yeah, I would say it's all about the prep. (laughs) Yeah,
0: definitely. I am joined by Sarah Bergen, a rider on Rally Cycling Team. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great.
3: I'm pretty excited to be on the Breakfast with Boz podcast.
0: The virtual Tour de France has taken place for the first time ever. And I think one of the things that's really awesome about this is there's both a male and female race, which is, you know, which is incredible and maybe a sign for the future that, that the ASO is considering bringing a women's Tour de France back to life. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Oh, I think it's incredibly encouraging. Like, it's just great to see like in that tech guide, you know, like women's and men's stages like right beside each other, same stage, you know, like same kind of prominence given to each event, which like, like the sport is exciting on both sides of the spectrum. And it's great to kind of give like the audience the opportunity to maybe shine a bit more of a spotlight on the women's side, where perhaps in the past that hasn't always been the case.
0: And are you are you new to virtual racing? Had you done any sort of, I mean, in the early days of lockdown, realizing that races weren't gonna happen, you're looking to still train, had you done much virtual riding or is the virtual tour your first, your first experience with it?
3: Yeah, it's my first experience. Um, before the actual like virtual tour, like when we heard like this was, you know, in the background kind of bubbling along, we're like, okay, like it's time to kind of do our due diligence and get on Zwift. And everything I'd kind of heard about it was like it's it's different than bike racing on the road and pretty much get ready to like get destroyed <laughs> so we did like a couple community races like prior and yeah that kind of held true i was like from the gun like before like all right it's gonna be hard and you're like okay like hold on to your freaking socks They everyone was just like gone and i was like oh man
0: yeah, there's definitely a learning curve. I've done a couple of virtual races and this recently, I know with, with rally, you guys have worked with someone who's kind of coached you guys through, or you know, coach you ladies and the men's team through racing because it is, it is so different, you know, very seldom, you know, oftentimes a road race, you'll have a neutral start and you can roll out. But with virtual racing, like you have to be there early and, you know, 10 seconds to go, you better be out of the saddle sprinting because it's about to take off.
3: Yeah, it's, it's been actually a great like collaboration. I think it's Holden. I'm not going to do his last name, Conroe. I'm not going to justice, but yeah, Holden's kind of like guided both the men's and the women's team through this because he's quite an accomplished eraser himself. So being able to like kind of pick his brain about like the strategies and literally like how to play the game to like get the best like results out of it has been like very valuable.
0: Well, have you embraced e-racing now that you're a bit more familiar with it and you kind of know the the tricks of the trade? Is it something that you're actually enjoying doing now? Or are you still eager to to get back outside and race? Or do you see it as like a complementing aspect to racing outside?
3: I think it's great because it allows you to kind of keep that competitive edge sharp because with the absence of that, like, outside, as an athlete, like, you really... It, it is the kind of hunger, like, like, like the competitive edge, but you got to feed it. And e-racing has, like... I think really allowed the whole team to keep that hunger going and to stay motivated in that way. Like personally, I love the outside, but I definitely find myself leaning in to these swift races because like, like you see the top names there, you see all the teams there. So you can really kind of uh, almost like get in like the the race mentality, which is, it's really nice to have.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, before races went away, you said you're, you know, getting ready for a Strada Bianchi, which is on the women's world tour and rally is a, pro continental team here in the u.s you you don't you're not necessarily invited to to all the world tour races but all of a sudden you guys got invited to the virtual tour and also at the end of the year i guess when racing resumes to to la course that's a pretty big big step up
3: yeah it's it's really fantastic and it's fantastic um we've had um kind of like leadership from one of my teammates chloe hoskin and she's quite experienced at the world tour level like having i think one La course like i forget which year but so, to have that kind of like within our roster and have that experience going forward, it's been like super cool. And I think it's really raised everyone's bar.
0: Do you have uh, a plane ticket yet to head, try to head back to Europe and get ready for,
3: for some race in come August? Oh, I wish. I wish. But it should be like, it's in the works. It's in the works. Um, like, management's doing like an incredible job of kind of like, Plan A through C and, like, lots of, like, contingency plans to make sure everyone's healthy and safe. So, like, that piece is going to be taken care of, which I'm so grateful for. And, yeah, when the plane ticket comes, I'm, I'm stoked.
0: And hopefully you get to go, you know, you're doing the virtual tour now, but hopefully you get to go race La Course, which at the moment is, is kind of the women's, I guess, ASO's Tour de France for women, which is only... It's only one day, but that'd be awesome to actually kind of race virtually and then get a chance to go, go up against the same ladies and fight for victory over there.
3: Absolutely. And like having raced like the course last year, I'm, yeah, I'm very excited to go back and have another go at it, especially in the Champs-Élysées, which uh, like Chloe herself has, yeah, been victorious. in. so to be able to support that kind of effort would be really, really cool. Well,
0: and having done a few races now, what other advice would you give to other Either a young cyclists or people kind of entering the virtual racing, what advice would you give people to to kind of make it a more smooth transition from from racing or riding outdoors to going inside? Yeah. So a
3: couple of things. I think first of all, like do a very thorough warm-up, like like almost akin to like like a TT warm-up. So have your warm-up very structured. So then you kind of alluded this to this prior. So you're doing like pretty much a max effort, like just before go time so like maybe it's 10 seconds to go six seconds to go but you've warmed up thoroughly enough that you're ready to like do like okay here goes like a max five six ten twenty minute effort (laughs) yeah Um, another thing i think can't be like, like underscored enough is like like have fun with it like like bikes are fun like racing it's a game it's fun like Like when stuff gets really hard, like I try to like smile at it. Cause like really like at the end of the day, like that's why we're doing this, right? It's to challenge ourselves and have fun. If you can kind of keep that mentality forefront, then you might not get trapped in all like what's this or like numbers that, or sometimes your avatar is like, out in what seems outer space doing something over there. But if you can just have fun with it, enjoy the technology and yeah, it's it's a chance, you know, switch it up and try something different. Awesome, Sarah. You said it perfectly. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for your time.
0: Yeah, and good luck in the in the forthcoming races. Awesome. Thank you so much, and have a great one. A short pause in this week's episode to give you all a reminder to please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review on iTunes. It is very much appreciated. And now back to the riders of Rally Cycling. I'm here with Emma White, also from Rally Cycling. Emma, how's it going?
4: Good. How are you, Ian?
0: I'm doing all right. Been following along the e-racing, which has been something new for for a lot of us. And am, am I right in saying that this is your first, or these the virtual tour is your first race of the year?
4: Yeah, we had a couple little um, practice races with Zwift before this, but this is definitely the first big one.
0: Yeah, because your actual, I mean, road race season was canceled before you even got started, right?
4: Yeah, a couple of my teammates were lucky enough to um, head abroad early on before any of this really hit, but I was still in the midst of track season. So, um, yeah, I had not I was all ready for it, but, uh, there was no road racing for me.
0: Well, as a track rider, you're probably more familiar with, with doing sessions indoors. I mean, obviously some, some tracks are inside, which is you're actually moving, but you know, you do spend a lot of time on, on rollers and on, on trainers when you're doing track racing. So this transition to more indoor riding hasn't been a huge shift for you.
4: Yeah, no, not really. And also being from upstate New York in the winters, I've actually been on my Wahoo for years before all this. I had never done racing, just had my my coach set me up with intervals and rides uh, when the winters were too cold or even when it's just storming here. So um, the indoor setup is definitely not anything new for me.
0: Yeah. Well, how have you found, you know, going from knowing kind of what it's like to train indoors and, you know, do longer rides? How has that transitioned over to to virtual racing? Like, how have you found, have, have you found the racing Because it is, in many ways, very different than, than racing outdoors.
4: Oh, it sure is. It's definitely so much different. I enjoy riding inside. I really enjoy doing intervals inside because it's just more steady and controlled. Um, sometimes you, there are unexpected things outside or, uh, you know, they're, they're rolling instead of a consistent hill. or um, So it's just more easy to control. But racing is a whole new world because you have the same, it's the same feeling kind of as riding on a road, a rolling road. And um, so that's been really cool to get more experience with figure out the similar the similarities and differences. So I still have a lot to learn, but I definitely feel like I'm we're all on the fast track to, to learning it right now.
0: Yeah. Well like you said you're you're not new to necessarily indoor training, but is something is riding indoors something that you would do throughout the year, even being in upstate New York when the weather is nice in summertime, would you still opt for a an interval session indoors, just because of the the consistency and kind of the control factor you have over the workout.
4: Not necessarily, unless it's like raining or thunderstorming or something. Uh, if the weather's good, I usually take advantage of it. I'm very lucky uh, to be to live where I live, and I've got great roads out here. So, but when I'm typically when I have a workout inside it's, you know, altered to, to be on an indoor, indoor workout. So it's usually shorter and more intense than something I would do in like a four hour ride, maybe some longer intervals.
0: When do you feel like you've, you know, having done a few e-races now, have you adapted to the, to the platform and kind of transitioned, you know, what you knew from, from riding inside, especially things like, you know, having the headwind set up, you know, cooling is an incredibly valuable component to indoor riding that people underestimate, you know, when you're outside, you have this wind in your face. And even if it's a hot day, you're, you know, you're cooling just through the wind. And if you're inside without any sort of air moving, it can get very hot very quickly.
4: Yeah, it sure does. I have all the fans in my house set up and it's still not enough. We, uh, I share it with my brother too, Curtis White, who, um, I know, you know, so we, we both kind of trade off of the, of the trainer. He actually just moved out, but before then <laughs> we had both been set up on it. Uh, so we've got a pretty good setup going with the fans and. Uh, now with all the e-racing our team has really helped set us up with uh, all the equipment we need and you guys have been a big help
0: i mean what have you learned through e-racing like what sort of advice would you give to someone who's kind of looking at that platform as a way to participate in some competitive cycling while while races and events have been canceled or postponed this year
4: yeah um honestly every single time i get on i learn something new so i just think the more you can get on and try it out and try different things and see how the avatars ride and how they react to other avatars riding. Um, every, every single time I'm on it's I figure something else out. So, um, I would just say get on it as much as possible. And now is, there's no better time to uh, take advantage of all this time where we're supposed to be staying inside and staying away from other people. So, um, it's, I think it's a really great thing to have and kind of let, let go of all the, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and things, negativity going on. And this is a really great way to kind of get rid of that.
0: Well, and has, has virtual racing to a degree kind of filled, I know both you and your brother are, are highly competitive. Has this kind of filled some of that need for, for competition to actually go out there and test yourself? Because you can, you know, you can go do training rides, maybe, you know, you know, your time up a climb or, you know, your power or whatnot, but it's actually been nice to be back in a in a virtual arena and actually kind of testing yourself against the best female riders in the world.
4: Yeah, it really has that competitive edge. It's something that we're all uh, we all have, and it's uh, something we definitely need to fulfill. For me, I'm definitely still lacking that being with my team. I think that's one of the best part of bike racing for me. So I'm. It's been a really cool experience to be able to do these races and still, you know, you you're riding your avatars on the screen and you come up on a teammate and that for me is uh, really special because that's one of the best parts of the sport for me. So that's been cool.
0: Yeah. At Rally, are you using a way to communicate to your teammates during the race? Cause I think that's one of the biggest differences with racing indoors is you can't say, Hey, jump on my wheel. I'll bring you across the gap. You know, right, you can't right. do that unless you're, you know, either on a, on a phone call or maybe a, you know, a, a zoom call with all your teammates. Is that something yeah. you've been using with, with a director?
4: We've been trying out discord and we haven't, we didn't quite lock it in for this race because it's still so new to everybody. So we're still all trying to figure out really how to use each other to our advantages. And, but so we've been kind of toying with it. We're, we still have a, lot, a long way to go with that one too.
0: Well, do you think at some point in time, team tactics, or maybe you've seen this already racing the virtual tour, but do you think team tactics do come into play while racing virtually? Or do you think it will continue to kind of stay more of a, a singular effort?
4: I think absolutely. If you do it right, team tactics uh, can be used uh, to your advantage for sure. Even just pulling a brake back or, um, you know, letting your teammate go up the road or or having, say, someone jump on your wheel and pull them up. Um, I think absolutely. Right now, I think (laughs) these races are so difficult and we start and we go as hard as we can um, the whole time. So we haven't quite been able to figure out how to use those team tactics, but we're getting there and um i'm really excited to to learn more about that
0: yeah it's a fascinating new world but uh it's awesome to see that that pro athletes and pro cyclists are still able to compete in this very strange time
4: yeah absolutely it's kind of like learning a new sport and i love it i love new challenges so much and especially having the same same people by my side with it it is it's it's a great way to keep keep involved in the sport
0: I am here with Lily Williams. Lily, thanks for taking the time to chat.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: How has the season been for you? No races outdoors, but you've been taking part in some racing virtually.
5: Yeah, I guess haven't done any road racing. Got a few track races in before things kind of shut down. So I feel a bit lucky to have had some opportunity to race on a moving bike. But yeah, as far as road goes, then staying inside for the most part in terms of racing, kind of getting my teeth kicked in on Zwift as I had expected. Um, I did some Zwift racing last year with my team as well, Um, but it's been, it's definitely been good training. been doing a ton of training outside on the road. Luckily, we're still able to get out. Um, So yeah, it feels like there's still kind of a purpose to everything moving forward.
0: Yeah. And how have you I mean, how have you found the the virtual race? And obviously, it is incredibly intense. And for some athletes, they prefer that to maybe a long four-hour race where they, you know, maybe need to, you know, can kind of drift off and, you know, enjoy the scenery a bit before it's crunch time. But virtual <laughs> racing's full-on from the gun.
5: It, yeah, it is full-on from the gun. Um, I've only raced on Swift so far. I haven't done RGT or any of the other platforms. And I really don't train inside very much, so in terms of my experience level and, ability on the trainer, I think I am not very good. I definitely like to take advantage of um, hiding in the pack and coasting a bit as a as a more of a sprinter type on the road. So um, getting on Zwift has really been, I'm not going to say demoralizing, but uh, I go into each race knowing that it's going to be a pretty big challenge. So it's quite different than the mindset I would have on the road where you think about how you're going to be helping your team and all that as opposed to just kind of surviving on on the trainer. So yeah.
0: Well do you think there's any as a as a sprinter type, do you think there are any lessons that you've been able to actually learn through racing virtually? I mean, obviously that with you know with the Zwift platform in particular, there is drafting. So all of a sudden you do realize like, oh, if I can, you know, hide, which you obviously you know riding outside, but is there anything you've picked up, any little, you know, kind of things you've learned through racing virtually that may transition to When road racing returns?
5: That's actually a great question. I think what I've learned more than anything on Zwift is just how to play Zwift as a game. I think last year when I did it, I convinced myself that I could just muscle through it and beat the game, but it is 100% not possible. You have to take advantage of the whole Zwift specific tactics online. Um, Learning a bit about um, kind of staying farther back in the Zwift pack. Um, I think kind of a tailgunning approach and the walks you can save there um, really helps in the long run. The only Swift stages I've really been able to, I've only finished one Zwift race near the front group and it's um, because it was flat. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, in general on the road, I can be a bit antsy and um, want to be near the front and in great position all the time. But on Zwift, that's just, not possible. I don't think it helps you at all. So kind of learning how to not be so uh, compulsive about being in a perfect spot and just relax a little bit is going to apply to road a bit. And as soon as we get started again, um, and just finding opportunities to recover is really important. I think I, I used to race cyclocross and that was always really important too, is to kind of recover as much as you can on the sections where you're not able to pedal um and obviously you're pedaling all the time on Zwift but it feels kind of parallel to me anytime there's maybe a zero percent grade or even a negative grade it's an opportunity for me to not get to the front on Zwift but just to relax and save some watts. so it's helping me with my patience quite a bit
0: yeah well I guess one thing I just kind of crossed my mind is you know you're talking about you know before a sprint or, you know, in in a race outside, you're oftentimes, you know, you want to be in a good position because you want to avoid, you know, a crash or maybe right. there's crosswind or something. And I guess that's something that you really don't have to worry about in racing virtually. You can, you can just tailgun it and then, you know, kind of sprint to the front when, when you need to get there, which is something you don't really need to, I mean, you definitely worry about if you were racing, you know, a crit or something, especially when you have to be up there, just so your right. your effort is easier and you're not going to, you know, not going to be ending up in a, in a barrier.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think, yeah, the effort and the crossover is maybe not, uh, direct, but I think you can take certain things in terms of attitude and, um, and energy expenditure
0: online. Well, what sort of advice would you have for anyone who's, you know, potentially either hasn't done any virtual racing or, you know, is considering, you know, maybe getting more serious about it? What sort of advice would you give to someone who, who is new?
5: That's another great question. I it's gotten better for me the more I've done it. I've probably done seven or eight Swift races now, which really isn't that many. But each one, I feel like I've learned a little bit how to how to ride Swift as opposed to just like going out and smashing numbers. Um, so. You know it just takes a little bit of time which it can be hard to swallow the first time or two when it's really a challenge and you don't really want to do more of it but it has gotten better figuring out how to play the game some other things that have really helped me actually have been getting an appropriate fan set up um just to stay cool there's only so much you can do when it comes to uh conditions where you are so i live in colorado at altitude and i don't have air conditioning so those are just two things like no matter what I do, those are going to be barriers for me racing against people at sea level and cooler climate or with air. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, for a while that really bothered me and, you know, I felt like I was at a disadvantage, but at the end of the day, like, that's there's nothing you can do about it. And if you want to race on this then you just got to accept those, um, those consequences, other stuff too, like everyone's running a different power meter or a different trainer with power and all that stuff it's pretty hard to regulate, I think. Um, and you can either be really pissed about that um, and think it's unfair, or you can just, you know, get the workout in and do it and get an opportunity to represent your team and ride right. with other people and go from there. So I think the biggest thing for me has just been, um, doing a couple of them rally also, has been working with Holden, who is the SWIFT, I think, 2019 SWIFT national champion. And he's been so helpful with us in terms of learning how to do certain things on the game. And we're all just like sitting there listening to him talk. And we're like, whoa, he didn't know that about SWIFT. So um, having somebody else who knows the game well can, and can share the advice and is willing to, that has been really interesting. And helpful so yeah maybe find a person who can help you
0: yeah read, read up on it like like anything if you do your research enough time and practice then you you become better
5: yeah yeah you would never do a road race without looking at the tech guide yeah So Zwift shouldn't be any different
0: thank you all for listening to another episode of breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo I will be back next week with an episode that I am very excited to share. I sat down with bikepacking legend Joe Cruz and one of his bikepacking colleagues, Karen Young. We speak about bikepacking, but more importantly, we speak about why we do what we do on the bike. Why do we seek adventure and push ourselves beyond what we may think is possible? That is next week right here on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo.